the continuing controversy about the Cerner development in southeast Kansas City and a look at the $1.7 billion city budget. Both are next on this edition of Deep Background. Greetings here on Deep Background for February 18th, 19th, somewhere in there, 2020. Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star's editorial board uh, joining you today. And before I introduce our fine guests, a quick note. We missed last week. There was illness in the podcast world, particularly with your host. And in fact, if I feel or sound a little nasal today, you'll know that those are the remnants of Um, my uh, flu bout last week. So I apologize for that, but it's great to be here and great to talk about things of importance in Kansas City. My co-host, Derek Donovan, with the board. Uh, Great to have you with us, Derek. And then um, Ali Kite, who is the City Hall reporter and uh, extraordinaire and who has been busy, of course, down at 12th and Oak as the city's budget is released and the mayor gives the state of the city address and uh, we sort of take a look forward into 2020 and beyond uh, for this mayor and council. So, Ali, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, So, to talk a little bit about, it's a $1.7 billion document. The mayor talked about it a little bit in the state of the city as as an indication of the way he wants to move forward. Uh, But it it didn't seem to me that some of the top lines that we might have expected are in the document. We don't have a housing trust fund, for example, that I could find. Um, There weren't any major new initiatives, some public safety stuff, but by and large, it seemed to be sort of a caretaker budget. Did I miss something, or is uh, what? what how, how are we to see, look at this document and really the, the Mayor Quentin Lucas's approach based on what he said in the state of the city? I think that's pretty fair. Um, a couple of things to know right off the bat are that $1.7 billion budget includes um, two uh, funds that are known as enterprise funds. That's aviation and water at the airport and the water department. They make their own money. They spend their own money. Council doesn't get to do anything yeah. with it. Um, most of the general fund, which is what council does get to play with, is tied up in public safety. Um, so I had a story last week. I think um, the ballpark for what is actually movable in the budget is around 70 to 80 million dollars so not not a lot of room not a lot of room in what sounds like an an enormous budget but a couple of things to note Um, there were increases for um, police department and fire department I would say those are the two biggest Um, there were some was some new federal grant money for neighborhoods but you're right there's no housing trust fund Um, that was something that the mayor campaigned on um, that he worked on as a councilman and that um, you know started out as a proposal for 75 million dollars in new funding became a proposal for repackaging existing federal grants um, from the Department of Housing and Urban Development and from some local sales tax money, and now that didn't even happen in this budget. Right. And as you mentioned, too, that public safety, the police and fire, that already is the lion's share of the budget. uh, That's correct. Um, Just of the general fund, it's close to 75%. Which is a lot of money, and it's a lot more money than really the city used to spend on those services as a proportion uh, of what the budget was all about. And yet slowly, Allie, over time, right, 
those other city functions seem to have shrunk. And we're talking about things like health and inspections and and uh, pothole repair and some other things. Now, there are separate funds for some of that, but by and large now the budget is just about uh, public safety first and then everything that's left is where the play in the budget is. Yeah, and I think you would know um, that probably better than me, Dave, for our podcast listeners who can't tell Dave has a few more gray hairs than I do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> but, All over my face. <laughs> but that's uh, that's very true. Um, the city is constantly struggling with having enough codes enforcement officers, health inspectors, um, and uh, trash collectors, things of that nature. Now, they're, they're, uh, I want to come back to trash because the, the city is taking over that service mm-hmm. and that will have s- some impact on the budget. But do we see any, uh, I don't want to say controversy, but is there pushback anywhere? Are members of the council saying, no, we need to prioritize this spending or that spending? Or does this seem to be like sort of a smooth sailing budget? It does include raises, does it not, for city employees? It does, yes. So there are raises in there. That can be a a sticking point. Many years ago when Dave Olson was the city manager, he proposed a 5% cut in city salaries which was not a happy time down uh, downtown. And, of course, there are fewer city employees today, I bet, than there were. Oh, oh no, without question. By, by no. a wide margin. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, attrition and, and other city functions, other than the police and the fire service, uh, which have held relatively steady. They, actually, they've shrunk a little bit, too, but not anywhere near other city functions. Walking through City Hall, it's pretty remarkable But, d- but, d- but again, Allie, do we see any, are any members of the council standing up and going, no, this won't, this won't stand? Um, I don't think yet. The city will have its first um, public budget hearing on Saturday where residents can come out and talk about the budget, um, and maybe that will you know, spur some conversation in the council. But um, the first department to present to the full council will be the water department. I believe that's tomorrow. And I think once the departments come through and start talking about their requests and their portion of the budget, you'll see a little bit more discussion from the council. Um, I would imagine the lack of a housing trust fund will be a topic of discussion. I'm sure there will be pushback from some council members who argue, uh, who will you know, want to argue the 10 new officers for KCPD. Um, I think that would be a big part of the discussion. Some people won't want the 10 or don't want the 10. And then I'm, I'm told there's some people who, some council members who want like 30 officers. Yeah, I think you'll see them all over the board on that. And I think it just depends on what their priorities are. There'll be, you know, council members who policing is big with them and they want to see as many officers as, as we can shove into police headquarters. Um, I think there will be others who will argue that, you know, they already get 75% of the general fund and we have all these other priorities that we're not adding enough money to and they'll want to shift some resources that way. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, Dave said rightly that this was a budget that wasn't full of a lot of surprises. There was one thing, though, that you broke out in your story, and we on the editorial board have have talked about ourselves, is that rather eye-popping $4 million subsidy for the Lowe's Hotel. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how much on people's radar was that before, before the uh, mayor's address? I don't know that it was um, on people's radar. I think that the, the budget office does its best to kind of keep what that document is going to look like locked down until they're ready to release it. So, but it was something that kind of started rumbling and then um, kind of burst to the the forefront in the mayor's state of the city. So um, 
apparently those contracts that were management development and uh, catering contracts should have been paid through the hotel motel sales tax, um, but that was down something like $1.1 million Right, and they're, and they're quite worried about that, actually, because mm-hmm. there are fewer people renting hotel rooms in Kansas City, and that revenue shrinks a little bit. Um, and then I think there was also an issue as well with um, hotel motel sales tax being used as an incentive tool that shrunk that as as well, right, if I'm not right. mistaken. And, and so you put all of that together, and there is some concern on the tourism front, and, mm-hmm. and you know, Lowe's will perform or not perform. I mean, that could become a huge story uh, if, if it underperforms dramatically once it opens here in the next couple of weeks. We'll see what happens. And that was kind of eye-popping because... Um, if I recall, that was the only or one of very few tax revenue sources that had fallen from the last budget. Earnings tax jumped yeah, something like 8%. Yeah, that no, it was right? very high, yes. Yeah. It's almost $300 million now. 44% of the budget, the general fund budget, comes from the earnings tax, which, by the way, uh, comes up for renewal, I think, next year. In mm-hmm. fact, there was, some, there was some money in the budget to pay for the election Next, not this coming April, but April of 2021, that would renew the earnings tax for another five years, which is required by uh, state law, at least to vote on that going forward. We mentioned the trash collection. Uh, apparently, the city is going to be able to swallow that expense, in part because they were paying somebody to do it anyway, and now right. they just bring it in-house. So that seems like that's going to happen, right, Mally? I assume so. I yeah, think that yeah. they should, uh, the contractor will hand over the keys to the trucks, not literally, but, um, <laughs> on May 1 when the new fiscal year starts. Um, I know there was supposed to be a job fair um, for solid waste collection positions in December or January, and it got snowed out. So um, I don't know what kind of crunch they're in in terms of staffing those positions, but uh, they have the money in the right, budget for right, it. All right. Let's wrap this up by talking a little bit about the mayor's state of the city. Um, I, I got a bit of a feeling, uh, I, again, I was uh, battling the flu, so my attention may have been diverted just a little bit. But, <laughs> but I got a feeling from what I read uh, of a bit of the old okey-doke, which is look over here because these other things uh, we don't want to talk about. I wrote a column about the fire sales tax, which is on the ballot April 7th, and the mayor did not, uh, at least in his printed speech, make any reference to that proposal whatsoever. Instead, it was things like marijuana convictions and other things. Give us your own impression of the speech. Was it was it a, a, about sort of diverting attention from some of these other major problems, or did he, do you think the mayor sort of tackled things head on? Um, without getting you know too much into your world of yes, expressing yes. opinions, about analysis, <laughs> analysis, <laughs> analysis. Um, you know, I think it's his state of the city address, and so he gets to say he gets Whatever. to kind of point to his highlights. Um, and I think something that was definitely new this year. Um, normally, that address is in what mid March after the budget is done. Right. So he did spend a considerable amount of the address talking about. Um, what would be in the budget right. and kind of aligning that with promises that he's made, which was, you know, kind of an interesting change of pace from um, Sly James's last address, which was completely separate from the issue. Of the right. And, and the mayor's, I must say, Mayor Lucas's involvement in the budget is interesting because uh, the charter changes of a decade ago were aimed at getting the mayor's office more involved in budgetary matters, but it was always after the fact. I remember 
Kay Barnes would wait for the city manager to propose a budget and then she would offer a letter critiquing part of it or suggesting changes. This seems much more integral to what the mayor wants to do. He's worked much more closely with the interim city manager to get things done. Yeah. Um, but, but, but on the other hand, things like the housing task force, things like the uh, sales tax vote, which were integral parts of the campaign uh, last year, seem to be getting pushed a little bit off the stage. I would say, yeah, the housing trust fund has been pushed back a couple of times. It's kind of morphed in in terms of its, I don't want to say mission, the mission is to build right, more housing, right. but in terms of what it's going to look like. Um, and so how I think it that's would work. I mean, it's a very... That's one of the things, Derek, about the housing trust fund that was always a little questionable is what exactly would it do? I mean, does it provide, you know, rent subsidies? Does it do rehabs? It's mandated squishy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was, uh, there was, the council did adopt a five-year affordable housing plan that um, included (laughs) a bunch of different priorities, um, you know, money here and there for minor home repairs, for... Um, incentivizing new affordable housing. Um, so that's kind of all laid out in a city document, but they just haven't applied the money to it. So, um, and something to note is um, what the mayor has proposed in recent months is filling that f- trust fund with federal um, community development block grants right. and um, some money from a local sales tax called the Central City Economic Development Sales Tax. Um, Which the- will be controversial if he tries aggressively to do that. Well, he does get to appoint right. a board to govern it, so he right. can put whoever but, he wants right, on. right, of course, but the people who supported the tax and got it approved are pretty protective of it, as you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then the CDBG grants um, are federal, and President Trump's budget proposes eliminating them. Now it's proposed eliminating them. Forever. Forever, <laughs> and Congress never does that. Right, right. But, um, you know, it does kind of... Provides for some question as to whether um, those funds are entirely stable. Right, and you also do have the ongoing question of just you've got Ernest Rouse, who's you know interim in the city manager position. You don't have a Troy Shulte, <coughs> who is very much known for marshalling things through. So there's there still are a lot of question marks at this point, right, as to how to administer this. Yeah, I would say that's that's fair. Yeah, where are we as we wrap up this portion of the podcast? Uh, Ali, if you know, where are we on the search for a new city manager? I know they've, they're looking nationally, and I think they hired a search firm to help out a little bit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like we're any closer. Maybe there's something going on we don't know. So um, they did hire a search firm. There was a little bit of internal struggle between the mayor and the council as to how big the council's role would be in narrowing that selection. Um, I'm and not let sure me if guess, the council resumes. wanted a bigger role and the mayor did not. <laughs> Shocking, right? <laughs> um, yes, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're now looking for someone, but it doesn't appear, they're not doing interviews that we're aware of now. I'm not aware of them doing yeah. any interviews as of yet. All so. right, great, great. All right, Allie Kite, thank you so much for coming in and chatting about the budget document. Thank which you. Which is an amazing, interesting thing in Kansas City and says a lot about policy, Why? Yeah, that's why it's important. Derek, stick with us. When we, After the break, we're going to come back with the Kevin Hardy and talk a little bit about this brouhaha over what's going on on the southeast part of Kansas City at the Cerner Project. You're on Deep Background. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, 
Help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at The Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to The Star for $1.99 total. That's right, you get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So, go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Okay, back now on Deep Background, Dave Helling with the STARS editorial board, Derek Donovan, my colleague with the board, joining us, and Kevin Hardy, uh, business and development reporter for the STAR. Kevin, great to have you with us. Uh, we want to talk to you about your story about uh, the Cerner development uh, at the site of the old Bannister Mall for for newcomers to Kansas City. That's on the southeast side of the community along I-435. Um, and it's a matter of enormous concern to that neighborhood. Bannister Mall, uh, of course, was a, one of the dominant, if not the dominant features in that area south and east of Kansas City for many, many years. And it has been replaced by office structures uh, constructed by Kansas City's biggest employer, which is Cerner, a private employer. Uh, and yet there are wrinkles in this uh, uh, project aren't there, Kevin, and you wrote about that a little bit. Yeah, so we wrote a few months ago about some of the community's concerns with that development, um, given the fact that they they, they they lost Bannister, which was no fault of Cerner, no involvement in Cerner, Bannister Mall right. failed. And Just it a mess, like a lot of malls. Right, a blighted, um, a, bl- a big blighted property in their community. But for years, they really struggled to, to have you know adequate retail and, and dining options, and uh, you know there's sit-down restaurants or gro- even grocery stores. They've really struggled to have those kinds of amenities in their community, which is already struggling with things like neighborhood um, neighborhoods are struggling. The school system there, the Hickman Mills school system, is losing revenue, losing students. So. Um, Housing stock is older. Residents tend to be a little bit older. Infrastructure needs are huge. And this is uh, one of the more diverse, one of the more racially diverse parts of Kansas City. Basically, Um, and and the idea was Bannister kind of collapsed, and we all knew that. And so, what replaces it? And here comes Cerner as kind of a corporate hero in a way. Originally, they were going to put a soccer stadium there. That sort of fell through. Right. Instead, this office, they bought a bunch of land, and this office uh, park went up with significant incentives. Right. This was a huge, um, a huge incentive project. It was the largest TIF, which is tax increment financing project, in the city's history, the state's history, and also in the nation to date, um, according to Good Jobs First, which is right. sort of a watchdog for government incentives, it's still the largest TIF. More than a billion dollars in incentives. Over a billion dollars in incentives to build out this campus. And the campus promised, you know, upward of 16,000 jobs would come there. Lots, you know, multiple, multiple towers full of employees. And as part of that, this was, this, like a lot of development projects kind of promise a revitalization of the area. The, The idea is development begets more development and especially bringing all these workers there, they're going to be concentrated there. Maybe they'll live there, they'll shop there, they'll buy gas there. 
you know, go in go and out, out of to these dinner stores, and right. do a bunch of other They'll things. Be part of this, and that Cerner, the implied or expressed commitment from Cerner is, we'll build these office structures, and then this other stuff will happen as well. Right, and actually, Cerner made a commitment that we're going to build these offices, we're going to get all these incentives, and it's a multi-phase project, but one of the phases of that project is a retail development there off of Bannister Road, right there at the corner of Bannister and 435. And so they lay out, um, in their TIF agreement with the city, they lay out how they're going to develop retail, um, restaurant, those kinds of things. I, I forget the particulars, but the idea was this is going to help fill this community need, and people now are saying... That was a big selling point. That was a big reason why the community got behind this project. But also at the same time, you know, we on the editorial board have a skeptical eye toward TIF all the time. And by the way, TIF, for those who aren't familiar with this tax increment financing, basically allows the developers to uh, reap all sorts of benefits um, from from tax revenues. Uh, they are intended for blighted areas. And the site of the former Bannister Mall and the failed Walmart hypermarket and all that, that was the definition of blight. Right, and there was some strip shopping yeah, little center, strip little strip there, and right. some home improvement stores. But it was pretty clear, wasn't it, Kevin? And I think your story reflects this, that the, po- that the people in the neighborhood certainly expected that in addition to parking lots and office space, there would be something available of more general interest in terms of shopping, retail, and other things once this build-out began. Right, and to Derek's point, um, everyone agrees that what they have there is better than a blighted Bannister Mall, and nobody's um, you know, making that argument. What they're making is, hey, you told us we're also going to get X, Y, and Z, and we haven't got any of that. And you got X, Y, and Z because we gave you A, B, and C and incentives to right. do these things. And the... To date, there's very little activity out there, and one of the one of the other sort of tension points with the community there is that Cerner is this sort of self-contained force at the site. It's a gated, um, it's a gated entrance. They're, they even close the city street to build their campus, and all of their amenities are right there on site. You can see a healthcare provider on site. Get your pharmacy, get your prescription filled at the pharmacy. Go to the gym. There's a food court. Um, someone even you know pointed out that's the only the only Starbucks in that area is on the Cerner campus for those employees. So the idea that they were going to be spending their dollar elsewhere doesn't really seem to be coming true. And if you go out there, you'll see there's a quick trip there on 87th, and that's kind of the the extent so far of that um, crossover development that people talk about there, where they're spending. Their money. And then the point of your recent story, uh, sure. uh, uh, Kevin, was at, as at least as I read it is. That Cerner is now sort of saying, "Look, this is not our, uh, you know, in our, uh, in our bag of tricks. That that we need to sell this property, let somebody else develop it, uh, develop it. It isn't clear uh, how that would work, or whether a developer would, uh, you know, uh, seek the same incentives that Cerner had, or whether they're transferable. I mean, it's kind of a mess, isn't it?" Um. Yeah, I mean, I would say basically that Cerner wants to get out of just that retail portion. Like they, they haven't really made any um, moves on the rest of the development, which is the the primary component of the project is the office park, which is a big multi-acre site. But they're basically they basically asked the TIF Commission for an amendment. It would be the fourth, I believe, to their TIF agreement to change that and to be able to hand over some of that development to private developers and let them um, see what the, let them take over that retail component. And one of the arguments they made is, hey, it's just 
this is in our this is not in our wheelhouse like you said we're not developers we're a healthcare IT company right and we conveniently that didn't come up when the original application was going through but now the the claim right. is hey we 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 don't know anything about this so over a few months they went to the TIF commission looking for this basically relief or change from them and one of the things they said was that actually without these incentives if you take the incentives away from this it'll be there'll be there's more of a chance that this retail development will kind of happen because the incentives, although they come with a great benefit, there are some strings attached, and they're saying that some of those strings are the things that get in the way. And the strings, of course, are requirements for diverse workforce and hiring and affirmative prevailing action, wage, prevailing wage, which have been part of TIF, of course, forever. Which are, yeah. These should are not have been a surprise. These are baked into kind of the agreement that you make with the city, and none of this is... Was sprung, I mean, this was part of their original yeah. agreement yeah. with the yeah. city. And, of course, adding insult to injury with this with the schools, you mentioned how you know the schools are hurting, and the the Cerner deal gave them all sorts of tax relief that would ordinarily be going back into the schools if it had been a different type of unsubsidized development there. Right, and we wrote a story a few months ago about some of those kind of broader issues, and the, and the, the school district there certainly feels like they – haven't been sort of the corporate neighbor that they would have hoped because they thought with all that tax relief that they would at least have kind of a deeper relationship with that campus because obviously there are crossover opportunities for students learning internships and and being on campus and they feel like that relationship really isn't um, doing what they had hoped Um, and then the community meanwhile if you go out there it's sort of um, John Sharp the former city councilman kind of likes to say you know, if you come to my community, you can't go to a sit-down restaurant anywhere in the uh, anywhere in the Hickman Mills School District in the Kansas City city limits. There's no sit-down restaurant. You know, there's there's very little uh, grocery shopping or even retail stores. They, the South Kansas City Alliance, did a survey of that community asking about their um, happiness, I guess, with the options, and everyone was very dissatisfied with all of their retail options, save for one, and that was the availability of liquor stores. That was yeah. the only thing yeah. that they had yeah. that they felt like they had enough of. And that it, disconnection is something that you hear from people in the district all the time. When we did our our candidate, uh, that was forums, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, when, in, during the mayoral race last year, I would guess when we were down in that district, probably a third of the questions referenced that in some way. How they just don't feel like the Cerner development is part of their neighborhood. Well, it's not all. only Cerner, but they're also worried about the. Uh, uh, development uh, on the former federal complex right. side along Bannister, and what you know that is that's just going to be huge warehouses and and no opportunities for the community. I mean, they really do feel like City Hall is not paying enough attention to some of these projects going on, which of course begs the question, Kevin: Do we sense at all a path forward? I mean, is it you know what? It maybe the best thing is for Cerner to say, hey, let's have someone else come in and try to do these things. Well, and I want to be clear that Cerner isn't really saying what they have in store for this site now. I mean, they they made this they made this proposal to the TIF Commission seeking a change, and then they sensed that that wasn't gonna getting happen. that wasn't going to happen with the TIF Commission, so they withdrew that request, and that kind of leaves us in this uncertain territory. And Cerner just won't say what they have in store, but the city they have told the city that they have two projects underway, and one is a Hampton Inn, a small hotel there, and then the other is a Taco Bell. So. Um, even if those are small measures, there is something happening on the site, but we just, we don't know. It, it, this story certainly isn't over. We don't know what may come tomorrow or in the next few years. Right, right. And they're not technically behind schedule on any of this, but it's just sort of unclear what they have in, in mind. And, and it's very clear, as Derek points out, that the people who live out there are not satisfied with what they see now, even though 
they're satisfied with the idea that it's better than what it was when it was a big hole in the ground and and there was a stables out there and some of the other things that went with the Bannister project. Well, it, it's fascinating as a political issue because, as Derek points out, when we went out for the mayoral debates, uh, it was clear that the folks in the 5th and the 6th District were really, really concerned about what they perceived as a lack of attention to important details in their neighborhoods. And your story, I think, uh, Kevin, reflected that. So thanks for coming on and chatting with us. And, and uh, you know, we'll have you back on again, of course, if there are developments going forward uh, on that important, important issue. Derek Donovan, my colleague, thanks so much for joining us uh, for the podcast. We thank you for joining us for the podcast. I apologize again. We missed a week because I had the sniffles. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm less sniffly now, so it has been great to be with you. I'm Dave Hell with the Stars Editorial Board. You've been on Deep Background.